Before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to tell you about the HAE and Me app. It's free to download on iOS and Android devices for all patients who are living with hereditary angioedema, also known as HAE. This secure app keeps resources close at hand, shares motivational support from real patients, tracks swells, and helps empower you to have better conversations with your doctor. Some other features of this free app include educational resources and motivational support, information you can share with your local emergency staff, an interactive journal and analysis tool that you can share with your doctor, and access to a library of videos, including real patient stories and tips. The HAE and Me app can provide you with the tools and resources you need to help track and manage your disease. To get started, check out the HAE and Me app by searching for HAE and Me on the iOS App Store or on Google Play. That's the HAE and Me app, a free app for all HAE patients. And now, on with the show. listening to, wait, how do you spell that? A rare disease podcast. My name is Colby and I'm the content manager here at PatientWorthy. And today we're going to be discussing Lee syndrome, a rare mitochondrial disease that affects around one in every 40,000 births and is most common in children under the age of 10. It is characterized by neurological disorder affecting things like mobility, coordination, and mental capacity. And to help in our discussion today, we're joined by two special guests from the Cure Mito Foundation, an organization dedicated to advancing a cure for Lee syndrome and other mitochondrial diseases. Casey Wollobin is the co-founder of the organization, and Sophia Zilber is a board member and statistical analyst in numerous rare disease clinical trials. Casey, Sophia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sure thing. And I'd first like to thank you for coming on the podcast today. This is the first time we've discussed Lee syndrome, so I'm glad we could have you on to discuss the important work you're doing. Yes, thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and to start, Casey, I was wondering, would you mind giving us an overview of Lee syndrome for listeners who may not be familiar with the condition? Sure. So uh, Lee syndrome is the most devastating of mitochondrial diseases because it usually affects uh, mostly infants and children. Basically, it causes them to lose their gained abilities. So your children are no longer able to walk, to talk, to eat. It's they're slowly dying in front of you. So it's devastating. Uh, There's no treatment, no cure. And uh, we're hoping to change that. What does the road to diagnosis look like for someone with Lee syndrome? So the road to diagnosis for us was fairly quick. We had a routine MRI done. And when you do have Lee syndrome, you have bilateral uh, lesions in the brain. And that is a hallmark feature of Lee syndrome. And so that, you know, the neurologist that pings the neurologist to order genetic testing. And that leads to a confirmation of what genetic mutation of Lee syndrome you have. And there's over 100 
different nuclear gene mutations for Lee syndrome? Yeah, I think, um, I think it depends. Uh, so my daughter was born a healthy baby and she has died when she was seven weeks old. And for her, the diagnosis was extremely quick. When she was three weeks old, she, her vital signs were low and she had other concerns and she was admitted. She was taken to the hospital by ambulance. And next day she had an MRI and already at that point we knew that she has mitochondrial disease and it was later confirmed to be Lee syndrome. Uh, but other people have a longer road to diagnosis. If their symptoms are less severe, then I think it may not proceed as quickly because they're not suspected of having such a severe disease right away. Right, because the symptoms are usually, you know, failure to thrive, just simple symptoms, nothing that would suggest a rare neurodegenerative disease. You've both had uh, family members who were diagnosed with, with Lee syndrome. Uh, can you tell us a little more about the Cure Mito Foundation? Casey, what led you to getting involved in advancing research for Lee syndrome? My son was diagnosed with SIRF1 Lee syndrome around seven years ago. And at that time when the doctors sat us down and gave us this, you know, gut-wrenching diagnosis, they said, there's nothing you can do. So just go home and enjoy your child and um, have a happy life. And that did not sit well with me and my husband. Mm -hmm. So we said, what can we do to bring this group of families together to actually solve this disease, you know, try to treat it, cure it, whatever. And so three years ago, we came up with the CureSurf One Foundation. And we, that led us into preclinical work for AAV9 gene therapy for SURF1, uh, which is the most common mutation in Lee syndrome. Um, and then a couple months ago, we, we started with Cure Mito Foundation to broaden our reach within the mitochondrial disease community. Sophia, turning to you for a moment, can you tell us a little about your background? As you, as you mentioned, you also, uh, you had a daughter who was diagnosed with Lee syndrome. What's your background in mitochondrial disease research and how did you become involved with Cure Mito? Yeah, so my daughter died from Lee syndrome in 2017, four years ago. Um, so in her particular case, there was no hope and no nothing that we could do. Um, she was basically dying. And so my background is in the, um, data analysis. I've been working for, for many years in pharmaceutical industry. I work on clinical trials and I currently work in rare disease. And so I wanted to find a way to use my very extensive experience with data to help because as we all know, in rare disease, we all need data and there's a lot of data that's being collected and not enough funding, not enough resources. So I have been trying very hard to use my experience to help, to make sense of that data, to raise awareness, um, to help with the patient registry efforts. So this is how I got involved. And so I met Casey originally through social media. So I'm very um, honored to be able to help uh, cure Mida. Being a genetic condition, as you mentioned, there, there currently is no cure for Lee syndrome. Uh, however, Cure Mito has been instrumental in forming collaborations with several programs, such as the Gene Therapy Program at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. Uh, Casey, can you tell us some uh, about some of these initiatives that you've been involved in? 
So these initiatives are um, amazing because seven years ago when my son was diagnosed, one of the things we asked about is can we pursue gene therapy? And we were told, no, that's too far off in the distance. It's not, you don't even waste your time or energy. And so when we collaborated with UT Southwestern, we funded a million dollars worth of preclinical studies that showed a proof of concept that gene therapy would absolutely work for surf one Lee syndrome. One step that is important for rare disease research across the spectrum is a patient registry for a given condition. Uh, Sophia, I know this is something that you've studied and published research about in the past. Can you expand on why a patient registry for Lee syndrome is so important? First of all, a big reason why patient registry is important is so we know who our patients are where they are in the world, because uh, this is a rare disease and patients are all over the place and we need to have as many patients as possible in order to be able to study this disease. So this is really a huge um, reason why we need a patient registry. We also need to find a way to contact these patients to let them know if there are clinical trial opportunities for them to enroll in. So this is another big reason because right now, recruitment of patients in rare disease clinical trials is very challenging. It's very hard to find patients. And so this is another huge use of a patient registry. And um, third reason is to learn more about these patients, about what they're experiencing, so that uh, we could develop meaningful endpoints for clinical trials. That's again, very, very important. So at this time, we are not aware of any patient registry like this for Lee syndrome, which is why we would like to create one and, you know, very excited and hopeful that this will help and help to advance research and help our patients. I'd like to add that um, also we will be sharing insights that we learn within the uh, registry to our patient population. I think it's very important that that information that is collected during, during the registry process is shared with the patient population. So I think that's an added benefit as well. Absolutely. Sophia, you also collaborated with a group called Savvy Research Cooperative in the past and recently gave a presentation on some of the best practices when thinking about a patient registry. Uh, Can you share some of the insights from that effort and how this will help in the formation of Cure Mito's patient registry? Savvy Cooperative um, has been very uh, kind to us. I spoke to them and I told them that I really would love to bring more information to the mitochondrial disease community about patient registries, about data collection, what are the things to be aware of. And so they offered us to run a webinar for us and we could invite speakers that we wanted to. And so they've been very generous with it. And so they, uh, we've been able to have a very good and collaborative webinar for mitochondrial disease community. Some of the insights I brought up there are based on my prior work with mitochondrial uh, disease data analysis. Some of the best practices I shared for the registry is number one, having appropriate governance and oversight, involving researchers, involving technical expertise, Ethical oversight, all of that is very, very important and often is not always done. Defining goals of the registry, 
that's really, really important because a patient registries could be there for different goals, such as a natural history study. It could be a contact registry. It could be just engaging patients. And so I think one of the other points I brought up is that we really have to understand why our registry is there and communicate that very clearly to the patients and to the researchers so that they understand why they are enrolling in this registry and why it's important. Another point I uh, brought up is data analysis. Patient foundations very often don't have a dedicated data analyst on staff, and they are often not aware that there's a lot of complexity to collecting data that would be useful for research. And so this is something that, because I have expertise in data analysis, I'm going to analyze this data and um, share the insights with the patients. But it is a, a very important point that many are not aware of. Of course, selecting appropriate registry platform, a huge part of it is communicating clearly with the patients, with the researchers. In the previous patient registry that I've analyzed, patients were able to share their feedback. This is something that's described in my paper, and I've had a few presentations on it. Comments from patients that were very, very personal. And it was very clear that patients are putting a lot of trust into their participation in a patient registry. Patients communicated that they want to be seen as a real person. They want people to hear them. They want doctors to hear them. We had comments where patients said that they've done so many registries and so many questionnaires and nothing comes out of it. So these are things that I'm hoping to address in the Cure Mitre registry, really communicate clearly with the patients. I'm putting together a FAQ for patients where we will explain to them why we are creating this registry, how we are creating our surveys, who is creating their surveys, uh, that there, any concern will be answered and addressed, things like that, so that patients feel like it's, it's about them, that like they are real part of it, they are real partners in it. Uh, because we can't have a registry if patients don't trust or don't register. So we really want to have this two-way communication. Yeah, yeah. I would just like to add that um, signing up for a registry will help with research and understanding the disease. And so it is important that uh, we share this knowledge and not keep it behind locked doors, you know, and that's what we want to do. We want to share with our patient population and research teams and academic institutions uh, that this information is out there and we want them to use it to hopefully find a treatment or a cure for this disease. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you want this registry to be sort of transparent at all levels, absolutely. everyone kind of coming in on the same ground floor there. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Right. Yeah, definitely. I think transparency is really key. And um, like Casey said, we want to share the findings with everyone. So as soon as we get data, we'll look at it. We'll create um, some tables or graphs or figures that we'll be able to really share with everyone. And so patients can see what their data is doing, that it's working, that we are looking at it, that it matters. Um, all of this is very important because if patients, sometimes patients feel like they register and everything kind of falls into some kind of like a dark hole. So we really, really want to avoid that. Would you mind discussing some of the other work that Cure Mito is doing to help support people with Lee syndrome? 
We are a grassroots effort of mm-hmm. rare parents who want to make a difference. And so we are letting parents know that their voice matters and that it absolutely takes a village. It takes, it takes all of us to move research forward and we cannot do this alone. We have, we have to do it together to get any type of treatment or cure for our children. One thing is, um, from what I heard from patients and in my situation where my child died, sometimes uh, patients don't feel like they are part of the community anymore because they don't really belong because the treatment or cure is not going to help them. So I think, you know, with Cure Mida, we want everyone who is affected by this disease to feel like they are part of this community and they belong. And so if you go on our website, for example, if you go to our support page, we have uh, all kinds of support resources there, including even for healthcare providers where they can learn about how to have difficult conversations with the family or for people whose child died and they're dealing with grief or they need support or for those who maybe want to expand their family and there's a resource for genetic counseling support. And we have a section with a family blog where different families submit uh, an article that they wrote about their child or about their family and we'll publish it. And we have uh, resources to other mitochondrial disease organizations because we want it to be a really collaborative effort and we really want everyone to feel like they're part of it. And both of you being parents of children who, who have been diagnosed with Lee syndrome, uh, what advice do you have for a parent whose child is newly diagnosed with this condition? Definitely give yourself time to grieve. It, it is a normal process and it is a devastating a diagnosis, um, but also don't give up hope. You know, the doctors will likely say there's no treatment, no cure, there's nothing you can do, but there is absolutely something you can do. And it is joining organizations who are pursuing research and, and never give up hope um, because, you know, without hope, you, you really don't have anything. So obviously my situation is a little different because my daughter died very quickly. I agree with Casey, just take time, whatever situation you're in, take time to grieve take time to understand what's important to you and your family, what your priorities and your values are. In my case, unfortunately, it was more dealing with end-of-life decisions, but still, it was a lot more than just my daughter. I have other kids that I had to think about and how to best support them and how to best live our life after this horrible tragedy that happened. So take time to figure it out reach out for support that you need. You can still have hope even if if your child dies. It's not obviously a hope for them, but it's a hope for you that you can make a difference, that your story still has a purpose, that you could help others, that there will be better times. I think it's our human nature to find a way to have hope. And so we definitely encourage everyone to reach out to us if they want to connect. And um, yeah, I mean... that's kind of my advice. I, I think I think it's very personal and it's hard to give one advice that fits all, but take time and find your own path and reach out for support, reach out for connection if that's what you need. And, and one sentiment that we often hear when discussing support for people with rare diseases is that it takes a village. Um, what are some of the ways that friends and family of people with Lee syndrome can offer their support? 
when my daughter was uh, was dying, we didn't connect with rare disease community yet. And for us, a, a lot of support came from our, our friends, our family, our community. Uh, we had also, we belong to a synagogue, so we had our rabbi and our, like our congregation giving us a lot of support. But I think uh, where support can be offered is, uh, a lot of it comes from just being there sometimes people just need to talk and they need someone to to hear them out or to listen to them and not even give advice necessarily but just be there for them and to hear what they're going through so this is a big thing that people can offer to each other and of course there could be other supports such as providing some resources or advising on a doctor or a counselor or anyone to help but you know, it could be more practical support, such as fundraising or helping people who are in the hospital, of course. Uh, but I think also listening, just being there is a is a big part of it. And I love that saying it takes a village because it really, really does take a village. Learn to accept help. You know, if people are I, for me, it was very hard to accept help if people were offering and I learned very quickly that help is good and people genuinely want to help and let them help. It's a group effort to get through this rare disease and to not fall into a hole of deep depression or darkness, you know, lean on your friends and family for support. If someone wants to find out more information about Lee syndrome and the Cure Mito Foundation, where can they do that? You can go to uh, curemido.org and read more information on, on our website. Anyone is welcome to contact us. Our emails on the website. There's also a community survey. So if anyone's interested in mitochondrial disease, they're welcome to fill it out and connect with us that way. And they, in that survey, they can also indicate if they would like to volunteer, or they would like to collaborate, or if they're looking for support. And that way we know who is there in the community and how we can best help them. I just want people to understand that we are a grassroots effort led by rare parents who want to make a difference. We are all volunteers. All the money we raise 100% goes towards research. Mm -hmm. And um, we are happy to have anyone collaborate and help us. We are happy to be there as a support for anyone who needs it. Casey and Sophia, I'd like to thank you again for taking the time to introduce our listeners to Lee syndrome and the important work you're doing at the Cure Mito Foundation. We really do appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Thank you. And once again, if you'd like more information about Lee syndrome and the Cure Mito Foundation, you can find out more by visiting www.curemito.org. We'll also leave a link to their website in the show notes for this episode. And you can always keep up with the latest in rare disease news by visiting www.patientworthy.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for PatientWorthy on those platforms. A big shout out to those listeners who have been leaving reviews on their favorite podcasting platforms. It might seem like a small step, but it really does help us out. And if you'd like to get in touch regarding the show today, or if you perhaps got your own idea for a future episode, you can get in touch with me via email at colby at patientworthy.com. That does it for our show today. Thank you again to Casey and Sophia for coming on. And as always, thanks for listening. Thank you.